Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent. We gather as a diverse and inclusive spiritual community that seeks to inspire love, work for justice, and grow in community. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whomever you love, you are welcome here. My name is Lori McGee, and I am serving as a worship associate today. We are joined, I am joined by uh, Nicole Penny, who is leading our service, and a guest mu musician, Marge Adler. Thank you, Marge, for being here. As Unitarian Universalists, we light a flame within a chalice as a symbol of sanctuary and safety to unite us in our worship as a sign of life's beauty and wonder and to remind us of our ongoing search for the light of truth within us and among us. Our chalice lighter this morning is Roscoe. Our chalice lighting comes this morning from May Sarton. Come out of the dark earth here where the minerals glow in their stone cells, deeper than seed or birth. Come into the pure air above all heaviness of storm and cloud to this place, light-possessed atmosphere. Come into, out of, under the earth, the wave, the air. Love touch us everywhere with primal candor.
today. Legit. <laughs> Author Shaheen Miros says that prayer is touching the divine with reverence, handing over your hopes, fears, and dreams, and then listening for a response. Miro says the heart of prayer is true communication, which is the act of sharing, listening, receiving, and contemplating. In his article titled, How to Pray with Tarot Cards, Miro discusses prayer as a partnership. He encourages the reader to pray like they are divine, speak, and listen. Much as Miro discusses prayer as a conversation with a higher force, Today we'll have a conversation with each other. As we explore t- prayer today, I invite you all to open your hearts and minds to prayer in different forms. Contemplate your own views of prayer and communication with the unexplained. Today we'll come together to discover a different take on the connection to the universe. Come, let us worship in peace. This morning, our time for all ages, all the kids can stay seated. And grown-ups, I have bribes for the kids in the form of candy. If you do not want your kids to have them, just shoo Lori away. They're all allergen-free. We're going to talk about prayer today, guys. So, guys, please raise your hand like you're in class. I know school's out. Sucks, right? Um, but how do we pray? Adults can answer, too. Go ahead. <laughs> if you want candy, you can ask Lori for some. <laughs> so, Huh? How do we pray? In your head? Okay, kids. Do you have an answer back there? Nope. Just kidding. Oh, Raylan has an answer. You have a nice conversation, you said? I can't. Showing nice offers. Okay, Evian? Some people actually sing. Some people sing. Okay. Um, Who prays? Oh, I've got a lot of answers for that one. All right. In the back, please. I'm sorry, I'm bad with names. People who go to church pray? Okay. Any other answers from my under 18 crowd? <laughs> Brad's like, dang it. I really want some candy. All right, go ahead, honey. Christians pray. Christians pray? Um, that's not fair. My genetics aren't helping. Um, Ava, go ahead. Ava said Unitarian Universalist pray. She can have a piece of candy, of course. Um, <laughs> Lola. Oh, you pray before you go to bed. You actually skip to my next question. When do we pray? Do we pray before we go to bed? When else do we pray? Raylan really wants a lot of candy. I don't know if mom and dad are on this. <laughs> yes, you ma'am. We pray before we eat. Okay, some people do. He doesn't want to say it himself, but Silas would like you to know that we pray when we see an ambulance going somewhere. Oh, thank you, Silas. That is a very good point. Okay. When we're worried about something. How many of you pray when, you, when you're worried about something? Raise your hands, be upfront. Let's not lie. So I think some people are shy about that one. Um, so let's, huh? That's what's up. Who prays when they're grateful? Any of the kiddos pray when they're grateful? You got that thing you wanted for Christmas or your birthday? Oh, don't pretend. Like, yes! (laughs) All right, so we're going to switch things to a different. um, I really want this question for mainly for our kiddos. Kiddos, what do you know about tarot cards? Like, what have you heard about them? Mine are slightly exempt. Huh? 
Go ahead. Okay, grown-ups now. Go ahead. The only thing I know about is an old movie, 007. Okay. <laughs> old movies? Okay, any kiddos have ideas? They're like, what is that? Is it a game? So, not quite. Oh, Ava, what do you know about tarot cards? I Ava knows mommy does them. Okay, cool. <laughs> Bonus. Then I know you have an answer. They're a thing. They're a thing. Okay, so when do people use tarot cards? Grown-ups, you can jump in on this. When they're looking for answers, that's a good one. To predict the future, who thinks that tarot cards are all about predicting the future? Raise your hand. Okay. So that kind of covers our when and why. So how do you do it? You just like throw stuff on the floor? <laughs> it's a game. That's a game. No, you don't throw stuff on the floor. Does anybody know how you read tarot cards? You know. <laughs> That's why you're here. You're like, she's talking about stuff I know. I bought my first deck when I was still a teenager and I brought it with me because I still have it. That's awesome. And uh, you read it when I read it, I, everybody does it their own way, but I, when I read it, it's like, what's going on now? And what are the forces that came behind it and go for it? And it kind of gives me a little picture that helps me sort of like frame any question I have or mm -hmm. kind of state I'm in. But I love the idea of you putting that with prayer. Thank you. You can stick around for a while. We might need to exchange numbers. Uh. All right, Miss Amanda, I'm so used to calling you Miss Amanda to my kids, excuse me, Amanda Rome. <laughs> so I, I always think of it as it's not necessarily like trying to predict something or tell about something, but it like opens your mind to thinking about something in a different way. Good. So, you know, it's not like, it's not like trying to, it's not like, oh, I, I'm going to figure out what's going to happen, but it's like, how can I think about this in a different way that will help me understand it better? Awesome. Who here has heard that tarot cards are related to the devil and like negativity and all that? All, and you know, you're going to someplace super negative that starts with a capital H usually, right? I don't, I don't want to. I'm not sure how G-rated I can be, so we're gonna we're gonna call it that big language instead of the fort, right? Or who has heard of the lady named Miss Cleo? What did she do? What did Miss Cleo do for people who are older? She swindled people. Okay, that's what, that's what a lot of people associate with tarot readings, right? Like, oh, you're gonna charge me $20 a minute and you're gonna tell me exactly what I already know. Huh? Like a fortune teller. Yeah, like a fortune teller or like almost like a game or um, some people, there's still like actual um, physical, like you put a quarter in it and it's like a physical robot that tells your fortune. I've seen those, not often, but they were super popular like 20, 30 years ago. Okay. Um, One more question. I think we're actually we're gonna move forward. Okay. Is it okay? You ready? Yeah. Okay. Um, so in the spirit of learning, I would actually like our children to, lead a, to, to um, engage in what I call, what's called a round prayer. It's where somebody begins, somebody ends, Lori will begin, I'll end, and the kids can add what they would like to pray for. Um, Grown-ups, if you want to help them out or maybe help speak up for them, game on. Um, and we'll all just kind of call out. Sound good? Yay! Spirit of mystery and wonder, today is a beautiful day. 
And today we are happy about, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, happy about coming to church, being together, going to SI, that it's not raining. Declan's here. Thanks, Raylan. I'm, I'm pretty happy he's here, too. <laughs> Ava's happy. Tristan's here. Everything. Everything. Fourth of July candy. Fourth of July candy. <laughs> Camping. Fortnite. Having a say, time with family, family parties. As we think about things we're happy about, let us also take a moment to reflect on things we worry about. May the universe guide us towards happiness, love, and support. Amen and blessed be. Would you please join me now in the spirit of prayer or meditation, as is your practice? The words for our prayer are by John Gibb Milspa. The title of this is All Too Often, We Pace the Geometries of Our Walled Gardens. All too often, we pace the geometries of our walled gardens, believing we are traversing the whole of creation. With spirits of discovery, let us uncover the mysteries nested in our routines. With the eagerness of children, let us seek out the secrets unfolding in our peripheral vision. Let us behold each fellow creature with reverence. Let us greet each day with praise and thanksgiving. For life is a gift of incomprehensible magnitude. Our lives are voyages with unknowable destinations. Along the way, let us meet, kiss, challenge, and support one another. Let us fashion a network of mutuality and extend it into the larger world. In these ways, we forge lives of goodness and beauty. In these ways, we know the life of prayer. Amen and blessed be. Our first reading this morning comes from the book Simply Pray by Eric Wickstrom. Why do people pray? What does it bring to spirituality? Is there someone or something that we encounter in our times of prayer? A sacred something that is yearning for relationship with us? Is prayer, as Anthony Bloom says, the building of a relationship or simply an internal monologue with one's own subconscious mind? The Buddha's answer, that is a question which does not tend toward edification, is only a partial answer. The reason it does not tend toward edification is that it distracts our concentrated energy from the truly important task before us. We want to know with whom we are engaging and whether or not there is a whom before we will engage. Yet to paraphrase the Episcopal priest and author Martin Bell, you cannot engage the sacred and then commit. Commitment is the one and only way of engaging the sacred. To use another example, you can't find out what wet feels like unless you get into the water. There is simply no way to talk about it. There's no explaining it. 
There's no understanding of it even. There is only getting wet. Similarly, you can't talk about a meal to someone and give them the taste of the food or describe a symphony and expect them to experience the hearing of it. You can't explain what it feels like to run on the beach and hope that their muscles will know the feeling or recite a poem about a rose with the intention that the hearer's nose will smell it. You can talk, describe, explain, and recite, of course, and doing these things will impart some measure of understanding. But in order for the other person to really know what you're talking about, deeply, fully, she or he will have to experience it directly. So it is with the spiritual journey. No words can truly describe it. You must experience it for yourself. Our second reading comes from Dana Warsnop. I want to be with people. Often people say that they love coming to a place with so many like-minded people. I know just what they are getting at, and I know that they aren't getting it quite right. I don't want to be with people, a bunch of people who think just like me. I want to be in a beloved community where I don't have to think like everyone else to be loved, to be eligible for salvation. I want to be with people who value compassion, justice, love, and truth, though they may have different thoughts and opinions about all sorts of other things. I want to be with independent-minded people of good heart. I want to be with people who have many names and no name at all for God. I want to be with people who see me in goodness, see in me goodness and dignity, who also see my failings and foibles, and who still love me. I want to be with people who feel their interconnection with all existence and let it guide their footfalls upon the earth. I want to be with people who see life as a paradox and don't always rush to resolve it. I want to be with people who are willing to walk the tightrope that is life and who will hold my hand as I walk mine. I want to be with people who let church call them into a different way of being in the world. I want to be with people who support, encourage, and even challenge each other to higher and more ethical living. I want to be with people who inspire one another to follow the call of the Spirit. I want to be with people who covenant to be honest, engaged, and kind, who strive to keep their promises and hold me to the promises I make. I want to be with people who give of themselves, who share their hearts and minds and gifts. I want to be with people who know that human community is often warm and generous, sometimes challenging, and almost always a grand adventure. In short, I want to be with people like you. Traditionally, society views prayer as precious moment figurines and board books of small children kneeling next to a bed with their hands clasped together, reciting a memorized poem or a song. 
You can even find stuffed animals to do that for the child in case they forget. When we're children, we almost view prayer like a Christmas list. If I ask God for like 10 things tonight, I've got a good shot at the smaller things. I may not make it to Disney World this year or in some cases stop daddy from hitting me when he gets really mad. But maybe if my brother and I share our toys, we can avoid getting hurt during that trip to Disney World. Prayer is asking God for the things Santa hasn't given us yet. Christianity has a lot to say about prayer. In fact, even typing Bible verses about prayer into a Google search got me at a minimum of 20 verses for this sermon. Mark 11:24 says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Kind of sounds like that Christmas list, right? What got me interested in prayer as a kid was needing help that I felt like I couldn't get. I looked for answers everywhere, and the best one I got was, go to God, by my Catholic grandmothers. At six, I was convinced these women had the hookup to God, so they obviously knew what they were talking about. They had rosaries, they had candles for saints, they had pictures of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and more gold crucifix necklaces than I could count. As a child, I was convinced that my grandmothers, who went to church three times a week, had secret capes with crosses on them because they knew every prayer in two languages. Jeremiah 29:12 states, then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. Obviously my grandmothers took that specific verse to heart. There was no way God was turning away from them. He, they simply wouldn't let him. So this was my view of praying to God. Be his biggest fan, buy all the merchandise, and never stop talking to him. If I did all of that, my Christmas list of prayers was gonna be mine, right? Simple. Here's the kicker. Nobody taught me how to pray. In fact, every Bible verse I reviewed doesn't come with an instruction manual on prayer at all. So I knew what I thought was the routine. Knees bent, hands clasped, eyes closed, and make sure God hears you, but not too loud or like a birthday wish it wasn't coming true. Some religions do have instruction manuals. The Muslim faith calls prayer Salah. According to WikiHow, because WikiHow knows everything, Salah is a nine-step process with a five-step cleansing ritual beforehand ensuring the area is completely prepared for prayer. It's a series of specific phrases and motions that I won't get into too much detail about. I do, however, want to note that all of the words have one thing in common. Give praise and thank God for everything. So even if your intention is, help me out of poverty, the constant theme is be positive and thank God for what you have thus far. Judaism, similar to Muslim faith, has rituals for prayer. However, Judaism only dictates guidelines, not rules with boundaries. According to Chabad.org, Jewish law states that daily prayer must happen three times a day. Jewish law gives vague times and what to say, but not always how. 
When engaging in daily prayer, those of Jewish faith believe that a physical synagogue brings them closer to God. So it's strongly advised that a person pray in a synagogue. Some synagogues will be more hands-on with their guidance and other synagogues, which are considered to be more modern, will allow people to pray in synagogues and do their own thing. So as a teenager, I couldn't wait to do my own thing. I embraced being a witch because it was anti-everything I was raised with. People were calling me a witch anyway, so I figured I'd take it figuratively and literally to heart. I was an outcast, and witchcraft was as far away from Catholicism as I could get at the time. It was my friends in high school who introduced me to interpreting ancient markings on stones and reading tarot cards. In my mind, all that praying the Catholic way just didn't get me anywhere. I went to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was sharing toys with my brother. The other stuff worked itself out only because I got physically bigger and I learned how to avoid those situations. Prayer never seemed to change my dad. It was in tarot that I found answers and structure that I was desperately seeking. I concentrated my energy, shuffled the deck, and followed the pattern. Do you know that tarot cards come with an instruction manual? Actually, most tarot decks do. Much like praying in Muslim faith, there are books on different ways to embrace reading tarot. So we talked about this earlier. Many people have misconceptions about reading tarot cards. As great as Ms. Cleo is about stereotyping the practice, those who read tarot would tell you it's a far cry from fortune-telling, scams, and sorcery. Much like saying 666 will invoke the devil or saying Bloody Mary in a mirror will bring the myth to life, a lot of the stuff people know about reading tarot cards is simply based on hearsay. Some close friends of mine have even tried to convince me that reading tarot is invoking the devil. Didn't work. However, there's no direct stance against reading tarot cards in the Christian Bible or other religions, only implications against sorcery. All of these myths have nothing to do with the actual practice. They're just words. Reading tarot cards, much like reading a Bible or practicing prayer, is a guided meditation. As I said earlier, the first step is preparation. Preparation comes in many forms. I know some who create a safe space to read filled with artifacts of positive energy, like specific stones or flowers. And I know others who pull out their tarot decks as the same way they pull out a pen from a drawer. Many people who have tarot cards have multiple decks, which channel different facets of our higher selves. I personally have four decks, each with a different energy and slightly different interpretation of the cards that accompany them. Everyone picks their deck in a different way. General consensus says it's a feeling or a calling um, to which deck we choose. So how do we want to be guided? What energy matches the energy we're putting into our connection with the universe this time? After picking a deck, the reader prepares themselves and sometimes others to connect with a higher consciousness, or as Reverend Erica Hewitt calls it, that which is larger than us. We focus our energies toward our goal of connecting. If reading for others, we shuffle the deck while focusing our motivation, and we move. Fo if we're reading for ourselves, we focus our deck while focusing on our motivation, and we move forward. If reading for another, 
Uh, the reader will often ask the person receiving the reading to shuffle the deck first in order to put the receiver's energy into the tarot reading. Similar to the details of prayer and meditation, the ritual of reading tarot cards inc always includes personal details. I like to split my deck into three piles and then stack them together into one big pile in an order I feel called to do so. I've seen others skip this and sometimes I do as well. Also similar to prayer, reading tarot cards embrace different routes to connect to the universe. The Celtic cross is a complicated but probably the most well-known route. It's very detailed and it takes a while to get to the answer, also known as the outcome. The outcome doesn't mean the end, like a fairy tale or a cartoon. Often it means assuming the way the rest of this plays out, this is where we're going. A past, present, future reading is shorter and can lead to more questions or just enough answers depending on the reader and their motivation. The universe shows the reader and receiver what happened in the past and brought them to this question. Then the present. This is where we are now with this situation. The future, the future shows that based on where the past and present are going, this is where it's gonna continue. It's not as much a final destination like an address plugged in Google Maps as it is a likely scenario that will continue on with the current path. I personally never try to start interpreting the reading until everything's laid out. I know things I recognize or when major arcana cards are in play. Others will sometimes form a quick synopsis as they lay things out. So just for reference, major arcana cards are the strongest energies. When I get major arcana, I know the universe is highlighting this particular part of the story. Minor arcana cards, on the other hand, are more supporting. It's like the main characters and supporting cast in a play or a TV show. Sometimes the big names play, and sometimes the universe is letting me know that with minor cards, it's probably not that big of a deal. Other readers don't put as much stock into differences between major and minor arcana as I do. They'll simply read. The reading itself varies in time. The bigger the spread, the longer the reading. More cards means more stuff to interpret. Considering all of this, I want to note that tarot isn't all lovers and wheels of fortune. Tarot isn't about hocus pocus and magical energy. Just because there's an outcome or a future doesn't mean that the practice is sorcery just the same as A plus B equals C isn't sorcery or predicting that letting an egg fall from any height will result in the egg dropping and most likely breaking as in sorcery. Anyone who actively reads tarot cards will tell you that we know for certain that nothing's for certain in what we're reading. Just as my grandmothers knew, that for, knew for certain that there was no 100% way to know that their friend's house would be sold quickly if they buried a statue of St. Joseph in their friend's yard, they still tried. They had faith in that putting energy and willing something bigger than themselves would produce positive results. As we read the cards and interpret pictures, people who read tarot cards see possibilities both good and bad. Not all of it is good, not all of it is bad. People who read tarot cards are also open to being wrong. We understand that as the phases of the moon change, so can life. We see our spread and see our possibilities, but we know that these possibilities include responsibilities. Those responsibilities include being open to different outcomes. I personally have a hard time with that. 
much like I have a hard time clearing my mind when I meditate or focusing on prayer during church. I like the stability of answers, and when my deck doesn't give them to me, I'll sometimes respond with huff. Obviously, the universe and I aren't connecting, and it must be all the universe's fault. In hindsight, some of it's mine, but in the moment, the universe is obviously as temperamental as I am. No questions asked. I mentioned the different energies of the decks I have. I feel like that's important for some who read tarot, but not for others. Just like it's important for some who meditate to chant, and it's important for some who meditate to be quiet while they're meditating, the funnel of energies can make a difference. My decks embrace all of my energies. Silly, masculine, mature, and relentlessly direct. My husband has one tarot deck. His readings admit an everlasting positivity and kindness that's like talking to Jeff about anything. I've read his tarot cards and put my own energy into them, and just like talking to my loving husband, they are stubbornly optimistic. When he reads my deck that I consider relentlessly direct, um, a shorter term being witchy, he feels emotionally stonewalled and without answers. It's kind of like fighting with me, which is why he avoids that deck. When reading tarot, people end, their reading, people end their readings differently. Sometimes I ask for more details. I'm not done yet. This doesn't make sense. Why? Help me out. The beauty of reading tarot, much like self-guided prayer, is that is there can be more if a person needs it. Though earlier I admitted that sometimes I feel stuck and I leave it there, sometimes I color outside of the lines. At first, I never did this. The cards said what they said, done. As I've grown in experience and comfort, I felt more comfortable reaching beyond the boundaries of the initial spread, like someone stretching just a little bit further while practicing yoga, or maybe saying two glory bees at the end of a rosary instead of one. To end a tarot reading, people have different methodologies. Some say prayers of protection and engaging cleansing rituals, like smudging the space with incense, or I've even heard of some people showering. Others, like me, pack up their stuff and think about what they learned. I have a special place in my room for decks. Despite my not always pristinely clean demeanor or house, my decks always go in the drawer where they belong when I'm done. I feel comfortable with them there, knowing that their energies are safely in their place. Unitarian Universalism doesn't say much about how to pray. As a faith, Unitarian Universalism views prayer as connecting to something outside of ourselves. No books on how, just cool, do you and connect. We have UU prayers. In church, we go through small prayer-like rituals as a community in order to bring us together and present and connect us. We have moments of silence. We sometimes have guided prayer, which is optional. Many in the UU faith associate prayer with meditation. Some don't. I love reading tarot cards because I feel at home. I embrace the universe and a higher form of myself. All of my big, busy thoughts are pushed aside for a puzzle filled with stories and an answer. As I read, I reconnect to the beginning and make sure everything is in sync before I move forward. This is my prayer. Kristen Collins says, we give to remind ourselves how many gifts we have to offer. 
We give to remember that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. We give because we believe in music, love, and sacred space. We give with, that, with the faith that together we have enough. This congregation, the U Church of Kent, thrives because each of you believes in music, love, and sacred space. And you so, and you so give generously of your time, talents, and treasures, and your financial resources. We thank you. Before we go, I would like to engage in one more form of prayer with everybody. If, as you're willing and able, if you will grab the person's hand next to you, Lori and I will hold everybody's hands, and Lori and I will start, we'll squeeze hands. We're gonna squeeze each other's hands. As you feel the squeeze of the person's hands to your left or right, go ahead and pass it along. Um, we're aiming for the right, but I understand if you're going in a different direction. Um, you're dyslexic, cool, that's fine. We'll figure it out, I have faith in us. Um, so everybody just close your eyes and wait for that feeling and that'll be our um, guided meditation before we leave. Ready? Amen and blessed be.